0: Just correcting him a little. (laughs) Good morning. There you are. Good to have you with us today. Especially if you're here for the first time, we certainly welcome you. Thank the Lord for you as well. I'd like to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 40 this morning. So would you please open your Bibles there? I figured you had enough announcements. You didn't need any more from me. Even though I might have a few, but I'll save them. We continue in our studies in the life of Joseph as we come nearer and nearer and nearer to the end of the book of Genesis. (laughs) For those who may not know, we've been in Genesis for four years. Uh, We're in the fourth year of that uh, adventure, I like to call it. But um, this life of Joseph is, is a very precious life to see because not only does it relate to Jesus, in the sense that Joseph is a type of Jesus, and there are many, many examples that we've already seen in just uh, the first few chapters, the first three chapters, 37 to 39. We'll find some more uh, types of Christ in the life of Joseph in chapter 40. But it's also um, a life that... Deals with us, maybe not to the extent that uh, that Joseph, uh, you know, that that our lives are as 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 much a, a, in in a in the pits as Joseph's life was, although that we know that the Lord was with him through through it all. But we experience those times of great trial and those times of great struggle, and to look at someone like Joseph and to see what he reflects, not just of the life of Jesus or the life that he has with the presence of God in him, but just the way that he exudes the character of Christ as we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are to do in this world in which we live. Joseph began his life, at least for us, in the sense of his ministry when he was 17 years old and he began to tell these dreams to his family that God gave him about their future. But in the way that the dreams were, were told, his family was bowing down to Joseph. And because they were so short-sighted, everything was about them and their, and, and then, at that moment, they didn't realize that what Joseph was saying is that down to time, that, that's what would be happening. So they hated him for it. And his brothers hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they decided to sell him to the Ishmaelites who eventually took him down to Egypt. And there in Egypt he became the slave of Potiphar, a a high-ranking official in the government of Pharaoh. But as was the case with Joseph and his brothers, so was Jesus now, I should say Joseph now in the house of Potiphar blessed with the presence of God. God had not left Joseph in the pits with his brother or his brothers as he did not leave Joseph in his servitude in Egypt. The Father was always with him. Almighty God was always with Joseph. And Joseph served so well in the house of Potiphar that God blessed him and and prospered everything he did. And Potiphar realized how close that Joseph was to his God and how close his God was with him, that he was being blessed by this life in his home. Until that day when Potiphar's adulterous wife made these moves toward Joseph. And Joseph, of course, rejected him because he did not want to sin against his God. And she accused him of rape. And he ran from her. Even at the risk of running and she holding on to his garment and he having to run naked through the streets just to get away from her. So they arrested him. And what should have been done, an inst- what should have been an instant execution, because that would have probably been a, a, a crime that would have called for the death penalty. Potiphar did one thing, because he knew Joseph and his God, and he also knew his wife. He didn't kill or execute Joseph, he threw him in prison. The hand of God. Just like God's hand was with him with his brothers, and his hand was with him even in the house of Potiphar, now he's in prison. And there in prison he finds favor with a keeper of the of the jail. And the keeper of the jail gives him responsibilities to care for the prisoners because he sees his God with him. And as we enter into chapter forty A couple of officials from Pharaoh's court are thrown into prison for whatever reason, we don't know. The butler, who was the cupbearer of the king, and the baker, who was the chief cook and superintendent over all the meals that were prepared for Pharaoh. Something went wrong with them and the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh threw them into prison, and that's where we are in verse 1 of our text. It says, It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Joseph, the one upon whom God's hand was. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. I want to stop there and just mention this, this little picture here. How the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. In other words, he put them into Joseph's care, and Joseph served these two men. And we see here somewhat of a picture of Jesus who said to his disciples, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And here we see Joseph then again as a type of Christ who serves us. Christ who came to serve us and to bless us. And I haven't mentioned this, but I I realize that Christ serving us doesn't just, doesn't just happen in our, our salvation when, when He, uh, has presented Himself as the Lamb of God, that sacrifice for our sins and all on the cross and dying for our sins and rising again on the third day. But we're told that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, He's gonna serve His bride. Doesn't it just continue His service toward, toward us? here Joseph is in prison and he's serving these men, which means that he's caring for them. This is quite an interesting detail. And if you know anything about prison life or jail life, quite a different thing. But he's doing it because the captain of the guard sees that Joseph's God is with him. So they were in custody for a while. And then the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning, and, and he looked at them and saw that they were sad. Now, you know, there's a lot of sadness in prison. There's a lot of sadness in that there's guys there that will tell you right now they didn't do what they did when they say they didn't do what they're accused of doing. Most of them will say, I didn't do that. So there's a sadness about it all. But all of this is reflecting the fact that that Joseph is seeing something deeper than just that prison sadness. He saw them that they were sad, and, and so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? A genuine question with a genuine concern. Kind of reminds us when we ask people, how are you doing today? I mean, that's usually just a statement that we make because we say we're trying to be nice about, you know, our relationship with people. We just say, hey, how are you doing? Do we really care how that person's doing? You ever thought about that? Before you say to someone, how are you doing today? Would you make sure that you really care about how they're doing? Because in essence, that really does reflect the love of Jesus in our lives for others. Whoever they are, whether they know Jesus or not, are we reflecting the love of Christ? He says, why do you look so sad? And they said to him, we we each have had a dream and, and there is no interpreter of it. In, in that culture and in that time and in that pagan society in which they lived, dreams were, were really important. A lot of times it was more, li- more than likely spiritualistic. You know, if you had a dream, something was going to happen. And we're not talking psychological here, and we're not trying to put any kind of psychosis into, into the mix here. It's just that that's what they were. They had a dream and they needed to have somebody tell them what it meant. This offers a, a, an interesting suggestion about Joseph when he gave his dreams to his family and said that one day they would be bowing down to him. Did he already know what that meant? Obviously, he would now be an interpreter of dreams and this is, of course, going to serve him in the next chapter. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But they wanted an interpretation for their dreams and so Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Eventually, God is really the only one who knows how to interpret dreams because he allows them or he gives them. So he said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. And and there's a little hint of a a type of Christ here as well. For when Jesus lived on this earth and he went through his three and a half years of his earthly ministry, time and time again we realize that the Lord knew people's thoughts He knew them because he was God in the flesh. And he knew and understood what people's hearts were thinking, what their dreams were all about, what what their minds were saying to them. So there's a little thing when he says, tell them to me, please. He's going to give interpretation, but let's just be very clear that the interpretations he was going to give was they were going to come from God. Because he trusted in God who gave him the gift of interpretation. And then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was, was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It, it was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, "This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. And now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. In other words, you'll lift up your your lowered head because it's it's been lowered by this this incarceration. But he'll lift up he'll lift up your head and he'll restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler." There's the interpretation. Now, in the next verse, he says to this chief butler, but remember me when it is well with you. I want you to notice that he doesn't say, remember me if it is well with you. If it does happen, he says when it happens, he knew it was going to happen because he gave him the proper interpretation that came from the Lord. So he was confident in the Lord. He had received it from the Lord. I, I say this because some people think that this one verse gives us indication that Joseph was, was, was really at fault here. That he was not trusting in the Lord. That he was now saying, listen, you go to Pharaoh. He's trusting in man. He says, you go to Pharaoh and you, you tell him about me and, 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 and all and, and see if I can get out of here. Because that's what he says. He says, "Please." He says, uh, "Remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon." Now we would say, "Well, maybe you know he's not trusting in the Lord anymore." But no, he was. He was trusting in the Lord because he said, "When, not if." So he knew that the interpretation was proper. He knew the interpretation was right. Now, is there anything wrong with asking the chief butler to give a word for him? No. Think of the the book of Acts when when Paul requests uh, to stand before Caesar that he might present his own case. Nothing wrong with that. Paul trusted in the Lord. But hey, if you get an opportunity to get out, From this injustice, then he sought it. Nothing wrong with that. I would say that you'd probably do the same. Or at least we'd all would, wouldn't we? So, nothing to worry about there. And then it says in verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. So, the chief baker says, wow, that was pretty good for that guy. Well, okay, so I'm going to give you my dream too. He says, uh, when he saw the interpretation with good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. And there were three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. Now let me pause here because you see, the interpretation he gives him is a totally different interpretation than he gave to the Butler. To the butler, he said, you're going to be restored. But now he knows that he has to tell the baker something that is really not so good. And what I I, I want to say here is that Joseph does not mince words. He doesn't try to soften the blow. He tells him the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When our hearts are revealed before God, before we come to salvation in in Jesus Christ, we're we're given the whole truth. Our eyes are open, our hearts and our minds are awakened to the sinfulness of our lives before a holy God. And the only thing we can do is to seek His mercy. Because He's given us the truth about ourselves. He doesn't mince words. He tells them the truth. He says, the three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you. Did you remember that he said to the chief butler that he would lift up his head? I think it's a little different to lift off your head. He will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. Yes. You're not going to have the same kind of situation as the chief butler. You will be executed. Your head will be lopped off. Your body will be stuck on a pole or a tree for all to see. Now it came to pass on the third day. Remember he said those... Two interpretations were three days came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. In this respect, he brings them out of prison. And then it says that he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. It happened just as Joseph had said. So this is primarily the end of this chapter. But we're given one more verse that says, And yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And that one verse is the reason why I've entitled this study, Dealing with Delays. Wasn't it bad enough to have been sold as a slave by his own brothers? All because of his royal coat and and some off-the-wall dreams that he had given to his family. And now to have been labeled a sex offender by his master's wife, all because of his coat of servitude that seemed more like a, a nightmare rather than a dream. You know, for some people, this would just be too much. But there's a secret to consider about Joseph's life. A secret that we don't want to keep secret any longer. It is summed up in this phrase, a blessed and beautiful integrity. Joseph's life was a blessed and beautiful integrity. He was held together by his love of God, his love for God, And his knowledge of the presence of God in his life. Because it was there in that putrid prison that Joseph learned the meaning of faith, hope, and love. The three great virtues that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the beautiful chapter on agape love, the love of God, the uh, uncompromising... Love of God. At the end of uh, the the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. He says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I, I thought as a child, but, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also have known... And now abide, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And to a certain extent, this was the life of Joseph. Growing so rapidly from a child to a man, ever so hurried, by the circumstances and situations of his home life and the the struggles of being the target of his brother's hatred and angst toward him. But it was there in prison that Joseph would quietly surrender himself again to the will of God. And my encouragement to you all this morning, as we come to the table of, of communion in just a little while, I want to encourage you that in the trials that you're facing, the things that you're dealing with, the things that you, 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 you tend to have some sense of, of, of worry or anxiety or fear because you don't know what you're going to have to deal with or how you're going to have to face these things. I want to encourage you today to surrender yourself again to the will of God. Why? Because what we're learning about Joseph is that God was with him, and God was with him always. And God says, you can trust me through whatever you go. Through whatever circumstance you deal with, you can trust me. But our faith is going to be challenged. And that's the first thing that we want to deal with about this whole chapter that we've just read about in the life of Joseph. Joseph's faith was demanded. His faith was demanded. Because it was challenged. Our faith will be demanded and challenged each and every day of our lives. As we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I suppose that Joseph would not be the first or the last person to ever hear the enemy whisper into his ears these words, Well, what about your God, Joseph? What about your God? Where is He when you need Him the most? Have you ever thought that thought? It was probably, probably planted there by the enemy. Probably planted there by Satan himself. Or at least one of his demons. Demons as it were. Where is your God when you need Him the most? Sometimes we ourselves ask the question, where are you God? I need you now. And He's speaking very soundly to us if we would just listen. He says, I'm where I've always said I'd be. I said, I'll never leave you. Where are you? The people who were aware of Joseph's testimony and they hid in their heart the matter of his innocence may have also wondered about his God. Because you see, the people who know that we are believers in Jesus Christ, who know that we trust God implicitly because we know that He he is our Lord and our Savior, When we face trials, they look at us. And they might think because of the struggle that we might show on on, on our lives that we're going through such a tremendous trial. What kind of God would reward righteousness and integrity and honesty and moral purity with defamation and disparagement and a prison sentence to boot? What kind of God would do that to this person? Were they saying that about Joseph and his God? But like the sufferings of Job and Jeremiah, Joseph's were for no apparent cause. While people down through the ages would respond by saying, well, this is just completely unfair. It is a travesty and a mockery from a sham God because, you know, they begin to blame God. With the struggles that we as believers go through sometimes. But Joseph's response would be more in line with, with Paul's statement. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, ta- uh, Paul's last letter to his son in the faith, the last thing that he writes before he faces the executioner's sword, and has his own head chopped off and he enters into glory. Paul said this, he said, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. For this reason I suffer these things, and yet I am not ashamed. Folks, we need to begin with that understanding that we should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never be ashamed of the word of God. We should never be ashamed of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We should never be ashamed of all of what God has provided for us or given to us so that we might serve Him. We should never be ashamed. But the reason that we're not ashamed is for I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Can you say today, I know that I know that I know that Christ is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my Redeemer. He's my protector. He is my encouragement. He's my wisdom. He's everything that I need in the midst of this particular trial that I'm in. Can we say, I know that I know that He is? And can we say that we're persuaded that he is able to keep what we have committed to him until the day of Jesus, no matter where we might find ourselves today in our struggles. You see, with Joseph, we could almost hear him say, I still have those dreams firmly planted in my mind and in my heart. While this path I'm on may be dreary, it will surely lead me to the place where the Lord wants me to be at the right place and at the right time. Can we say that about where we are today? You see, many of us, if not all of us, are going to go out these doors and we're going to face some some certain trials and struggles and unexpected events. We we might face them today, we may face them tomorrow. I can tell you this, uh, April 15 hasn't arrived yet, so if some of you are facing that little (laughs) detail in your life, at least that's one problem we might be facing before Uh, the end of next week or sometime in the middle of the week. Can you say with confidence God is with you through that? Because He promised He would be? And that whatever He has promised you, He is going to complete because He is faithful? You see, in God's great mercies and loving kindness, He gave Joseph little indications, tokens, if you will, keepsakes of his affection to reveal to Joseph that he was not forgotten. For example, the jailer came to appreciate and trust Joseph back in the last chapter, the last three verses, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison, which means he trusted Joseph so much because he knew of his testimony and he knew about God's presence in the life of Joseph. That he trusted him with all the prisoners. Because he knew that he would take care of the prisoners justly. And then it says whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Which means he didn't keep checking on him to see who he was doing right or wrong or whatever. He didn't check on him because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. You see, in a a sense, that's kind of a goal for us as believers, that wherever we are, wherever we're at work, that we give the proper testimony that we truly trust our God. And then when unbelievers begin to entrust us with things, they do so not because of you, it's because they know that your God is with you. They know that Jesus is with you. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? So what was Potiphar's loss was now the jailer's gain. Joseph's faith was indeed demanded, just like our faith is demanded every day because it's challenged every day. But now... We we see Joseph's love displayed. We've turned love and hope around here. We're going to end with hope. But his love was displayed. Remember that Joseph in prison really did learn what it means to have the three great virtues, faith, hope, and love in his life. He He displayed love. We can go back to Genesis 40 verse 5. Uh, through 8 and it says uh, just in review here that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream both of them each man's dream and one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation and Joseph came into them in the morning he looked at them and he saw that they were sad he went, went beyond just the, the initial sadness of, of their condition and so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying why do you look so sad today and they said to him, we've each had a dream and, and there's no interpreter of it. So, so Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me please. As, as we look at the account of Joseph with the butler and the baker we see that Joseph won the confidence of the other prisoners as well. The verses given in, of Joseph in the prison among the others shows that he cared for them and treated them as human beings. He was touched as it were with the feelings of their infirmities. Just as Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, of our weaknesses. And this reminds me of of, of so much of two great passages of, of Scripture that point to Jesus Himself. The first one being in Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Which means that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. As the New King James says. But but it's interesting this first part of the verse, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. This is King James language, but, but, but there's a use of for those of you who are into grammar, the use of a double negative is right here. It says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, which simply means we have a high priest who can be touched. With the feeling of our infirmities. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted, like as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus knows what we go through because he went through it first. When he was tempted before his earthly ministry, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Every temptation you've ever experienced, He experienced for you. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace because of Jesus. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need because of what Jesus has done. The second passage that I uh, I like in this respect is Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. This, this so much sounds like the situation, the experience of Joseph in prison, to be able to be there to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to open the prison to those that are bound. As Jesus did for us. We who are bound by sin and death, we're no longer bound by those things. Death may occur to these bodies of ours, but because we're in Christ, the people that we are and be, been made in the image of, of, of God, the spirit that, that is in us will be in the very presence of the Lord. We're not bound anymore by sin and death, we're not bound by Hades or hell. We were but no longer because of Jesus' compassion for us. Joseph not only had a position in the prison, he, he had a ministry there too, and this is the point, so, so much so that the two most notable prisoners in the cells were willing to share their apprehensions and their concerns with him. So we know then that he came uh, first came the butler, officially the cupbearer for Pharaoh, as well as the overseer of the royal vineyards along with the cellars. Usually the cupbearer had some hundreds of people serving under him. This particular butler had been banished to the prison for some trivial offense and shared with Joseph a dream that had disturbed him during the night. And as Joseph listened, he could discern the promise that was in the dream. See, I'm just, I'm just pulling another layer off of the, of the onion, as it were. Pulling another layer off to this truth. Joseph said to him, In verse 12 of our text, this is the interpretation of it, the three branches of three days. Now within three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. And then of course the uh, butler was encouraged, uh, or I should say the baker was encouraged by the butler's good news, so he, he told him his dream. Again, the, the baker is the chief cook who had superintendence of everything that related to the providing and providing of meats or preparing of meats for the royal table. And from the confidential nature of his employment, as long, along with the butler, they had access to the royal presence. He was probably from the highest nobility. So it took courage in sharing his dream with Joseph. But as he listened, Joseph's face grew grave. For he discerned a a more disastrous end. So in three days a baker would be hanged and sadly I'm sure, and this is the point I'm wanting to make in all of this, Joseph told him, I'm sure, within the course of his telling him the truth, to prepare for death and more than likely sought to comfort his pagan heart with the knowledge of the true and the living God. Which is what we would do if in that position of sharing with someone who didn't know the Lord, that it was time to meet their maker, it was time to meet their creator, it was time to meet the Lord God of the heaven and the earth. It's not stated, it's implied in the heart and life of Joseph. The two employees of Pharaoh have always reminded me to a certain degree, not fully, but to a certain degree, of the two men who hung on either side of Jesus on Calvary. To the one whose heart was changed on that tree of execution, the one who, when he first was hung next to Jesus, was just as much a mocker, he was just as much giving insults to Jesus as the other. But as he saw Jesus on the cross, his heart was touched and changed to that one prisoner who turned his head to Jesus and said remember me when you enter into your kingdom that Jesus would say to him in Luke chapter 23 it's recorded let me find it I didn't read all of that did I Luke 23 he said assuredly I say to you today today you will be with me in paradise The other thief would perish in his sin and in his unbelief. All along, right next to the one who was dying for the sins of men. Right next to Jesus. But he only continued to mock. He only continued to insult. It brings to mind that little statement that we've all heard. How close and yet how far away. How close are some people today to knowing Jesus Christ and yet refuse to accept the truth of Jesus, refuse to believe in the God of creation, refuse to believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose again to conquer sin and death. How close and yet how far away. I don't doubt at all that Joseph shared with that baker his need to entrust his life to the one true God. That's the opportunity we have as believers is to share that love with others. That brings us to Joseph's hope. The hope that he had of seeing his ministry fulfilled. But, Joseph's hope was deferred. His hope was deferred. Go back to verse 14 of our text, because there it says, but remember me when it is well with you. He's telling the chief butler. He doesn't say if it is well with you, if you happen to get out of prison. He says when. So he knew that he was going to be released. And please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. (laughs) And then we get to verse 23. He had a hope, but it's deferred. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, the Oxford American Dictionary defines the word deferred, D-E-F-E-R, as to put off to a later time to postpone or to delay. As we are told in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope that is put off, hope that is postponed, or hope that is delayed, makes the heart sick. We have to admit that we live in a time and in a society that we expect a lot of things to happen right away. I mean, we are in this fast communication time frame and technology, as it were. Everything has to happen quick for us, right? We can't wait to smash potatoes. You know, to make a good mashed potato, we just get it out of a box and add water. Because we're always in a hurry. We want something, and we want it right away, and we want it right now. Always reminds me of, of, of people's prayers. You know, oh, I need, Lord, I need I need patience, but I need it now. Right now. Not much patience in that prayer. We look in the, we get on the internet nowadays, because, you know, we don't find something in El Paso, and a lot of times you don't find everything you want to find in El Paso, but... You know, you get on the internet and you find anything you want. And when, and when you see what you want and you know that, you know, you look to see how long it's going to take. Well, three to five days. Well, I, I, I hope I can wait that long. Three to five days. How many of you remember, you know, you used to send like a dollar, you'd tape a dollar to a piece of paper, you know, that you watch, you know, some, some cartoon on TV and they said, you know, if you send a dollar, we'll send you 5,000 little army men, you know, little green plastic guys. And you're waiting, but it takes 10 to 15 days and you're like, oh, now we wait three to five days and we think, us oh, a travesty that we're not getting it tomorrow. Right? But if you want it tomorrow, you have to pay an extra $35, you see. Right? For next day delivery. I mean, We're just really struggling with all these things. But anyway, see what we want. We order it, we take out our credit card, we type it all in, hopefully in a safe, secure uh, internet thing. And then we send it off and then we just wait. Where's that UPS guy? Hope deferred all oh, makes the heart sick. I, I had to order some glasses, some new glasses, because I honestly can't see with these. They're just, they're, they're kind of cloudy, foggy, I don't know. And, uh, so, I, if I see you, I kind of recognize you. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, okay, I know who you are. Sessie, my wife. Oh, yeah, okay. I know who you are. And, uh, but anyway, so I went to the doctor, I got my eye examined, I got my prescription, you know. Went next door to where I get my glasses and, and, you know, had them ordered and then they said, of course, now sir, Mr. Flores, you're gonna have to wait seven to ten days because, uh, it's a special order because I, you see, I have trifocals. I, I, I can't do progressive, so I have to have lines, old-fashioned kind of guy here. I have three sets of glasses right here, right, right here, you know. So I have to have that and, and, you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, so, seven to ten days, but I've done this before, so I said, you know, I, I, know the drill, sure I can wait, <laughs> you know, and, and so, uh, that was last, the Thursday before last, and I said, okay, so, you know, I, I, I forget it, you know, cause I'm, am a very patient man, I think, uh, I don't know, but, but anyway, Thursday came, the next Thursday, and, you know, I didn't think about it, and about midday, I thought, well, gosh, I haven't heard from him, but they said seven to ten days, so maybe another day, maybe tomorrow, uh, well, I, I got late in the afternoon on th- Thursday. I did get a call. Mr. Flores, yes. Oh, this is so-and-so from... And, uh, you know, you had ordered some glasses? Yes. And they said, well, we put in the order, but something was wrong with uh, the, the communication with the order. And for some reason, they didn't get your glasses ready. And uh, so it's going to take another few days if, if that's Okay. going to say? <laughs> uh, some of you do that. <laughs> what, if, what good is that? You know, I just said, uh, well, you know what? Okay. Okay. Lord, I'll do my best with ease. Until then, I'm okay. We'll be all right. What, what can I do? So I have to wait. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oh, I wanted to see. But when they're ready, but when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. Snoopy, you know, dancing. Just picture that. I'm not going to do it for you, but picture that. It's just... A tree of life. I mean, it's it, you. You just get so excited. You have promises given by God, and when they finally happen, you rejoice. But until then, your heart is sick. You see. So now uh, apply that, if you will, to Joseph, thrown into a pit by his brothers, about ready to die. But his brother, two of his brothers, say, No, no, no. Let's not do that. Let's sell him. <laughs> Nice. The next, best, the next best alternative. Let's sell him. Okay. So they got a prophet. He gets sold. He goes to Egypt. God's hand. His hope is deferred. Why? Because he already knew that he had a mission from God to serve not only his family, but many, many people. But until it happens... His hope is deferred. The chief butler forgot Joseph. Much like people in their daily lives forget Jesus. And that, people that are supposed to know Jesus. Excited about a promotion or a raise, thrilled by a great unexpected event taking place, some people forget the God who has brought these things about. It happens, doesn't it? A few days went by swiftly, and Joseph was expecting at any moment that Pharaoh had commanded his release from prison. Days turned into weeks and still nothing. Surely the butler was getting back into the swing of things with much to do, but he certainly wouldn't forget. Weeks turned into months and months into years, and the hard lesson was that he was never to trust or hope in man. But he knew that already. He wasn't trusting or hoping in man, I mean, just maybe for that one situation, if this is the case they'll remember me, then I can get on with my mission. We need to trust in God and not in man. That's the lesson for us. Because Joseph entered into a truth that many years later, the psalmist would write about. In Psalm 42. We're going to close with this. It's what the psalmist wrote in... Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. As the heart, which is the deer, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. As, as, we, as we are desperate for that, for that living water from God each and every day of our lives, we, our souls pant for God. As the psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? A little anxiety there, maybe my tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, "Where is thy God? you know there 's the world there 's the enemy, where is your God while you 're going through this trouble while you 're going through this trial? where is your God?" Well, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks himself the question, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? The questions are asked, Not to add to the worry or the anxiety, the question is asked to nail down the answer. Hope thou in God. Why are you disquieted? Why are you cast down? You don't need to be. Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. I am going to praise Him. That day is coming. I'm going to praise Him. Because He's faithful. And He's always faithful. How do we deal with delays? I want to ask you two questions here. One that affects you now and one that will affect you tomorrow and the days to come. How do we deal with delays? That's now. How will we deal with delays based on what you've learned today? How are we going to deal with them? You see, whatever the case may be, our hope should always be in Jesus Christ. Our hope should always be in God and in Christ. How He he who did not delay going to the cross, I mean, Jesus did not delay going to the cross for our sins, but at the very perfect moment, at the very perfect day, and at the very perfect hour, He offered Himself upon the cross as the Passover lamb so that we who believe in Him should never perish, but have everlasting life. It is a promise that He has kept and will keep because He's a faithful God. Can you trust Him? Whoa, that's only half of you. Can you trust Him? So I'm going to ask you to do something. And I'm mean i asking myself as well. That we consider this as we come to the table of communion this morning. I want you to surrender your impatience. I want you to surrender your worries and your anxieties and your fears today at the table of communion. I want you to surrender your anger. By the way, I'm not getting angry at you. I just want to emphasize. There's no need to be angry. There's no need to be impatient. Jesus said there's no need to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything give thanks. Jesus has overcome these things for you and for me. He has overcome them for you and for me. On the cross. Focus your attention on that as you receive the bread and the cup. By the way, you'll get two cups together. The bread is on the bottom, thankfully. The, the juice is on the top. Receive the cups. Hold on to them. We'll, take, we'll partake together. Let's pray. Father, do we do thank you that the things that Jesus has done for us affect us now. What he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, Affect us now. And for this, Lord, we give you thanks and praise. And it is in that thanks that we remember, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you never...